Hello, and welcome to The Embargoed, the only podcast that gives you the unvarnished truth about the world of technology public relations. Our aim is to go behind the headlines to tell you what's really going down and have a little fun in an industry that often takes itself too seriously. Every Thursday, we touch on the top stories of the week, dissecting the worlds of technology, business, politics, pop culture, and whatever else we can examine through the lens of public relations and corporate communications. We promise to be honest, straightforward, and mostly irreverent. We'll never bore you with details about which company announced what, unless, of course, we really liked the what. Standing in the dockets of Hampton Trying to get to Holland or France The man in the match says you've got to Today is Thursday, May 20th, 2021. Welcome to the Embargoed Podcast. Hello, Kevin. How are you? David, I'm doing great, man. Thanks. How about yourself? Doing all right. I am not familiar with this song. Our guest picked it today. I actually love it. Been listening to it. It's a very upbeat song. And um, apparently it was written a long time ago and recently remastered. (laughs) So Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. Let's get on the show. We've got a big, big, big show today because we have a guest that reached out to us and uh, he's a former journalist and came over to the dark side. Um, And we're excited to have him here. We're going to be talking about, you know, how he applies his skills uh, as a journalist to what he's doing now on the dark side, as well as discuss how uh, journalists can make this transition. Uh, His name is Bruce Upton. Many of you tech PR pros would know him when he was a managing editor at Forbes. And uh, I worked with him a number of times, although he probably doesn't remember me that much, but he did did see the broadcast. So Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, David. And, and Kevin, thanks for having me. It's uh, This is my first time as a guest on a podcast. So, so treat me with, with a, gentle, a gentle touch. I've done pod- I've launched podcasts and, you know, helped script them, but this is my first Yes. You're steeped in the traditional media, man. It's time to modernize. Well, first of all, what are you doing here? (laughs) What what are you doing here with us? Like, thank you for being here. We're honored. Yeah. So I I proved that I'm a good PR person because I pitched myself successfully onto a show. Um, (laughs) How about that? Uh, No, I thought I thought when I came across like I said, you know, I've only been doing uh, comms, I guess, for a few years, five years or so. 20 as a journalist so i didn't really know what i was doing at first i went looking around for gotten you know, manuals and newsletters and podcasts and books whatever and there were not that many podcasts there was i think one called hacks and flacks and there's all these content strategy podcasts but what you're doing is unique or semi-unique and you can enough at least for me to really want to get on here and share what i've learned so far with people well, we're glad you pitched us. We actually deleted the pitch three or four times, but you just kept, uh, <laughs> kept hammering us. So we thought, That's you know, true. shit, I guess we got to let this guy on the show. I think he called too. And he was like, hey, dude, where was my pitch? Did you respond to my pitch? 
We come I'm not going to show you. <laughs> on, your, on your show last week, I, I took issue with something you both said. You both like refuse to show your pitches to your clients. And, uh, you know, it's like trade secrets, your DNA. It's your superpower. And as a, mostly as an internal, as a client, if I have a PR person out there, like an agency sending out bad pitches, don't you want, I want to know that. Right. So I respect your, you know, expertise, but I want to first verify. So well, let, let, let us clarify that right take, now. Take that one, Dave, go ahead. Uh, you will see a pitch that you will approve. It may, may not be the one I send. <laughs> right? <laughs> right yeah. Listen, listen, Great. Right? like Great. The, 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 the thing is you want to feel like this, the client wants to feel like their story is being told and that the approach is correct. But Bruce, on your side, a long drawn out pitch about a certain client rather than something newsworthy or that ties to some industry event is really going to be, you're not going to be interested in just that one single client message. There's oh, something percent. I, I get I get that 100%. That's what I'm saying. Most corporate messaging people don't see that. Right. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's because there's somewhere in the middle, there's someone who gets, you have to get like a story has to be newsworthy, but it also has to have enough of the corporate messaging in it. So and everyone's happy and there's a way to do that. But I want to make sure they're doing that. And that sometimes they're not. Not to mention the fact that the way you engage someone in a pitch is, you know, not necessarily you, the way you engage someone if you're trying to have a conversation with them, right? So right. you receive these pitches before, these long, drawn-out, corporate pitches, and you're going, Jesus Christ, I'm a person. Just you know, talk to me like a human being, yeah. uh, which yeah. is, you know, tends to be the more successful way to go about this stuff, in my, in my experience. Right. Yeah, especially if you have a relationship. All right, let's get to Bruce. Let's learn a little bit more about you. You joined Forbes in 95, just as the internet was taken off, right? And I got a job in 96. So I was right behind you, dude. <laughs> on, uh, first, first professional job, right? So it was the dot-com era. It was good times. That's where Kevin and I met. So we were in San Francisco. It was like, uh, you know, rooftop parties. Uh, it was all new. It was money awash everywhere. You know, were you skeptical and all of that? What, what'd you, what, was it, what did you think of that era? It's so funny because uh, I, I kind of missed the... The the um, epicenter um, when when the, they handed out start when we when we, Forbes opened a uh, that Silicon Valley bureau the one on the one hundred and one there like in Burlingame yep uh, they they, they oh, put yeah. their big name they put their big name on the building it was and it was up there for years if maybe it's still up there uh, it was like the cool kids got the nod we got sent out west from New York there were all these reporters that they needed to send out and I was like just the next one on the list. Uh, and they said, "Hey, kid, do you want to go to Chicago?" And I'm like, "All right, sure." And and it was just a uh, life-changing event. And I took my wife out there; she was pregnant with my first son. And I covered for so all throughout the dot-com, like the peak '97 to 2000, I was in the Midwest bureau chief. So what I ended up doing was, and at the time, man, you know, because of all the tech ads, the magazines were thick as phone books. Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, like we had a website; it was, it was just to getting started, but all the money was coming in through print. And, uh, and I, was, I was doing like any story I could in the Midwest with a wire sticking off the back of it, you know, like, uh, look at this cool track. These tractors have satellite, you know, connections, this, this river's being redirected using, you know, GPS and, and whatever telecom there was and there's plenty of it in the Midwest. I was doing that, but I was also doing stories on soybeans and, and retailing and, and manufacturing and transportation. 
but it, it all went like everything you could write about went. It was great. Well, that, so, that's it. Go ahead, Kevin. No, I was going to say, you know, I had a client, uh, I don't mind mentioning the company was General Magic. You remember those guys? Yeah. So I, had a, I was working with General Magic. This was probably 96. No, it was 90. It was 97, spring 97. We were working with these guys. I remember the CTO telling me our product is going to be, quote, bigger than the Internet. And, you know, I remember that, you know, it's 25 years ago that that comment sticks out to me now uh, because I really think it kind of summed up the era. Uh, summed up the time, right? I mean, everybody thought they were doing something that was going to be, you know, world changing. And, uh, you know, so you're out in the Midwest, um, you're yeah. reporting on this stuff. How often did you hear that kind of thing? How did it strike you? Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts on on stuff like that? I mean, it just, it all seemed so heady at the time, but um, had to yeah. take it. I mean, you, we were, we knew there was something wrong with the, with the, the those, the pets, the, the shopping sites, you know, like pets.com <laughs> and all that. Um, and when there's Super Bowl ads, like all the morning signs are there, but you have to write about it, just the velocity story, you know? At Forbes, we tended to have an obsession with getting rich. So if the people who are getting rich the fastest, like ever, that's a story. Uh, and we saw it in telecom. So I, I started to get pulled onto a lot more of these stories, especially when I got back in 2000, as things started to like tip over and really crashed. So the, covering that crash was an amazing story too. Like how these, how the you know people's lives and the jobs that were lost and the exodus out of tech and what's next after this and that, yeah. But then when uh, uh, when nine eleven happened, everything changed. We started writing about you know like, surveillance I, for it, kind of like distracted everyone for a little while. You know, Bruce, we we were out here and we're West Coasters. Uh, Kevin's, yeah. Kevin's from L.A. I'm from Northern California, and we met in San Francisco during this dot com boom. And I remember Forbes coming in. Uh, and had that Berlin game sign. And, and I remember us talking like, oh, look, all these East Coast publications, these stodgy ones are coming out West and they're opening up bureaus and they're doing that. And I, I recall now, it's been a while, but I remember that Forbes coming out and, you know, I forget the editor's name, but he would come in and meet with us. And I think he ran around to all the tech firms and all the technology companies to, to say hello. But it wasn't just the magazines. There was a litany of people that came in from Boston and New York and you know there was a full-on migration to that and it was interesting to see some of those a lot of them left after the bus and a lot of them stayed and they're still here uh, but that was definitely a different era for I don't think tech that defined tech in the Bay Area I mean even though yeah. it was here it really just mm -hmm. solidified it I think so yeah and the stories that we were running on like at the very beginning like when i first like 96 95 was all about building the foundations of what's there you know the first stories about web crawlers what's the web you know and right. http and linux and, and unix you know and what's what's going to happen next with uh with hardware we talked about designing things not to overheat it's crazy you know now no one talks about hardware now no one talks about chip makers and and the semiconductor equipment manufacturers but those were all valid stories back and then. that's uh that's my background i came out of that space actually but you know something you said a minute ago uh about reporting on the rise and fall really it, it reminded me of a of a movie i like the natural uh baseball movie and there's a a reporter in the movie played by robert duvall and he's talking to robert redford and he, he's telling him who is the baseball player in the movie and he says you know something along the lines of whether you're you know whether you're great today or you're horrible today i've got a great story and, you know, really that was, you know, that's kind of the role of the media. Um, you've got a story either way. So you were reporting on this stuff uh, as it was 
coming up and, and you were all over it on its, on its way down. Uh, obviously uh, Forbes survived, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the downfall, but some of these pubs didn't, right? Like uh, Industry Standard and Business 2.0. What uh, do you think of those guys in the moment? Well, I mean, we knew, we saw where all the ads were coming from. They're from businesses that hadn't existed, you know, three years earlier and then spending all the VC money on advertising. Or if, or there were companies that were servicing those companies, you know, those data centers and um, <laughs> advertising, ad tech, all that stuff. And now you're seeing that now, which is, seems more consolidated now, you know, the Shopify's and the Etsy's. Like, like when I saw Etsy's stock price, so I realized, whoa, that's, you know, an incredible platform now. Um, but, they're, but they're not spending money in Forbes. No, they're not. No, no everyone, the, the game is gone. That's the thing. I mean, every, everybody has changed. Everything is, it's, it's, it was when I was like, just, it was a, it's a full on, I don't think the book's been written yet about the death of media, but, but yeah, it's uh, like Craigslist. <laughs> and I love seeing people who are like, God bless Craig Newmark for donating, donates all this money to like CUNY School of Graduate journalism but his thing took all the money away from the newspapers and you know and sure Facebook and Google. yeah the classified ads i mean you do yeah. like 25 dollars a pop and you do like 300 of them on the back page you know that's uh yeah that's that's good money so so let's talk about this kevin says forbes survived it's it's there how, how do you feel about your old publication there bruce i mean you were there what 16 17 years or was it 20 20 years yeah 20 20 years, years dude that yeah. that's yeah there's some special place in your heart for that now it who owns it now i don't know is it, isn't it some tie dude or is that fortune uh, i can't remember no it's a series it's a, it's like a triad i think i believe i cannot speak out of any direct experience it's been 6 years since i've been there but the last i checked it was owned by a triad of uh, of asian executives uh, one guy who started uh, yeah, a laptop, you, laptop company and, yeah. and the two of them it's called integrated whale and then they and the family still owns a, piece, a tiny piece of it uh, you you per, you know that uh triads are the gangsters in hong kong Did i shouldn't use that term a triumvirate a trio a trio yeah yeah yeah, yeah. forbes yeah, is straight up owned by gangsters <laughs> yeah and i saw that they recently formed a union which is totally cool it's fine they, they can do whatever they want um uh, what's weird is like if, if they're if they're crying union because their pay is bad i mean everyone's pay is bad in journalism um if it's also like to guarantee certain liberties like freedom to write about what they've always wanted to write about, uh, uh, you know forbes has always always been a place where you can write whatever you want but maybe it's just you know they know that there's maybe a new owner coming uh there's talk about a spac of course like everything else and right. maybe, maybe they want to keep on keep their jobs keep the last jobs that that, that are there so, but, so go ahead. Kevin. They're growing. They're growing. Say, you know, they're adding the people all the time. On the evolution of Forbes, because I, I think uh, you know, in some ways, I think Forbes is a little slow to adjust uh, to new media, and, and I think it's created opportunities for companies, uh, publications like Insider, formerly Business Business Insider. But one of the things Forbes was kind of early on, um, and actually, I, I know I had reached out to you about this when you were there, was contributed articles, and and that's become kind of a I feel like Forbes, so Forbes used to publish, as you know, uh, contributions from various, uh, you know, vendors or analysts, consultants, and folks like that. But uh, they've really recently gotten into this council game, which I, I, I'm guessing you're aware of, like the Forbes Tech Council, and where I feel like they've kind of tried to walk the line between, uh, you know, contributed content and traditional uh, editorial. What's your take on that? Because I, I feel like it's 
it's inching Forbes closer to kind of more modern, sensational kind of uh, headline driven media and away from some of the traditional stuff. And I think it's probably necessary uh, for the survival of the of publication. But I, I'm curious what mm -hmm. your take is. Yeah. And before you get into that, Bruce, before yeah. you get into that, you know, like okay. that Forbes Council. You know, that could be the classified ads of publications these days, right? You know, it's like they charge for that. And it's, it's, a, yeah. it's an income stream. So. Right. And it's kind of like tolerable pay for play, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's credible pay for play. How about that? Right. Right. So there's only, I mean, look, Forbes is, is a, still a great brand. I think it was an even bigger brand, like different kind of brand before they kind of, they flexed it a little bit. Uh, like, and like you said, Kevin, was to save the company. Um, I oversaw an, um, a small army of like 120 contributors, each carefully chosen, carefully policed, and assigned to narrow swim lanes of topics, you know, video game cybersecurity, uh, you know, digital transformation, CIO issues, and everywhere that we thought there was reader interest, right? And, and they were told they had specific pay, it was all contracts, and we had the backend system, CMS, they built an amazing CMS now. In the back end, you should see it. Um, but you know, that had its issues. There were people who were writing stuff that you know that was un, un, um, they weren't given permission to write about, and that's when the, usually the infractions happen. And you try to get get rid of the clowns, uh, but they always sneak on. And we got stories about people who were getting paid, you know, to write things, ghost things, and that's terrible, and it looks bad. So you know, you do enough of that, and it starts to change what this brand stands for, and they just went for a a more open umbrella, you know, with the 30 under 30, it's like a much different thing. I mean, Forbes was like harder to get into, I'm sure as a PR person. Now it's like anyone can go. Well, with the Wait, Forbes uh, councils, they're, they're all in now, right? I mean, Forbes has basically gone all in on the- It's just a new iteration, new like a new evolution yeah, of that same absolutely. idea. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. think they have, they, have, they, they have tighter standards now or are they policing more? Because Bruce, I can't imagine you watching out for 110 contributors and i'm sure you were watching staff as well editing staff yeah yeah they had like 15 20 staffers too at the same time yeah was, yeah you weren't gonna watch was, yeah no no i remember when the councils were just coming on before when i left and it was like an entrepreneur that partnered with forbes to do all this and they were going to roll it out in different verticals and have so, these kind of groups you know that's fine so, so bruce i think that's where we came across i think i was one of your first contributors on the cybersecurity space my great mm -hmm. client and friend, and now he's an SVP over at VMware, Tom Gillis. Oh, Blue Steel. Blue Steel. Uh, I, I always nicknamed him. He's, I don't, I don't uh, think it was Blue Steel. It was Tom Gillis. He was at Cisco, and then he went, I don't know where he went. No, that was my nickname for him because he had like this strong jaw and he would like, he came right at you and talked to you like an army ranger. I love the it. Ben Stiller reference. I, I, you know what? He yeah, was an officer. Yeah. Yeah, he, was yeah. an office, he was an I officer in the Gillis. Air Force. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so, well, uh, I remember doing that. And the hardest thing for us was to get him to write something. Mm -hmm. Even if we wanted to write something, yeah. you know, he did mm -hmm. one or two and then he took it to his next company bracket. And then he also, and then he got into a Tesla. Like he got one of the first Roadster Texas and he wrote about the Tesla, right? I'm like, keep your focus, right. man. But he and loved we, that thing. He, he loved the possibility. He loved yeah. the possibility of it. And he did keep it, you know, he wasn't pushing too much always on like his business agenda. He tried to keep it, you know, broader, uh, but it was committing to it. And I think a lot of clients forget how much time it takes to write and how much commitment that they have to do it. And it's just, uh, well, and that's why we're in the business of doing what we do. 
But even getting them on the phone for 30 minutes to talk about something sometimes is hard. There's an inverse correlation between people who you want to write and how often they appear in your pages, you know? <laughs> uh, you want to find those perfect people that know what they're talking about and you can do it quickly. And it's who aren't your employees, you know? We had, yeah. I had some of those people. I had some rare, super rare. It's just why the, whole, the, the model doesn't quite work. You need to throw a bunch of numbers at it to get the, like the five people that make all the difference. All right, dude. So let's let's talk about that for a little bit. You were a tech journalist for 20 plus years, mostly at Forbes, mm -hmm. and then you left to mm -hmm. come over to corporate communications. And you joined actually something pretty exciting, Hyperloop, Virgin Hyperloop, right? Tell us about that. Why did you leave? And, and mostly, um, I want to know how that transition was for you, because as a journalist, you're supposed to take this objective analysis and apply it to your story, but now you come on the side and you're representing a company and that objectivity may go away and there might be some hype, there might be some <laughs> positioning, right? I, I've met with many journalists who have tried to make that turn as hiring as communications professionals and they just really were not ready for it. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't even write a memo to staff if they could, right? Yeah. right. Even though they wrote well. So talk to us about that. Oh my God. So yeah, um, <laughs> you guys have some really long ass questions. Um, so uh, it was not an easy move for me to make at all. Um, I had a therapy. I was in therapy for like a year just talking through <laughs> with this wonderful woman named Eileen in, in the Greenwich Village. And we talked for hours and hours about what, why I'm thinking I'm doing it. What, what's the right stage sequence to do it in? Because look, I just I blew everything up all at once. Like new industry, new location, new people new role uh, in, a, in, a, you know, in a technology that never existed before, that Elon Musk just came out of his brain one day, you know? Um, so I did it all like, he, she said, why don't you just become like assistant comms manager at Go Goldman Sachs here in New York uh, or, you know, some AT&T and figure it out and or go join an agency. And I'm like, no, fuck it. I'm going to the West Coast. I'm going to join this crazy company with only like 60 people. And they, they just made a title for me. I, I, the thing is, I'd written about them in Forbes on, a, yeah. on, a, on the cover, and that yeah. even got used against me later on. That I was like <laughs> a, sh a shill for the company, the company. In the but no, it was like a year and a half later, and things just gotten just enough for me at Forbes. You know, I stopped learning, so it's like turning fifty and said, "I'm doing this, Maggie. I'm it, doing it." The media can be so mean, huh, huh Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> the media give it, the oh, media take no, it the way. But I, no it has, I, I've worked with a ton of. No idea. I've, I have a sense. I, I've worked with some reporters uh, who've made the transition to comms, and I take it a step further than Dave. I think they've described it as painful, um, stressful, emotional. Uh, you know, because you go from a, a position of, hey, look, I'm going to decide what's going to be what we're going to cover here, and it comes with its own stresses, I'm sure. But being on the comms side is a little different. Uh, so, so how would you describe your your time at uh, at Hyperloop at Virgin Hyperloop <laughs> in terms of uh, so, figuring okay. out how to work with press? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so let me describe my first day. So I get in the first. We're having this thing called the Pope. It's a propulsion open air test, and it's being covered by CNBC and a bunch of like Al Jazeera and Wired and every other outlet. It's, we've flown them all out to this cocktail party in in Vegas with a, a sled that goes like 80 miles an hour in two seconds uh, in the desert that we built. So I'm flown in, I didn't know anybody, and I'm sitting at this conference center and like I'm, they're being, like I'm taking notes, there's a speech presentation, they need me to write a speech in like two hours, throw me in with a branding agency, 
throw us into the party, got to meet some people, tell partners what to do. And then the next day, and it's a huge success, okay, like 15 billion impressions. We're all clapping hands. Next day, we stumble into the office in LA and 11 of the senior engineering leads walked out the door. A coup d'etat, just like we quit, we're demanding, here's our list of demands. Mm. And all of a sudden, like Bloomberg's on the phone, we're war rooming it. There was a like a leadership retreat and we had to break it up and just split it up. And, and it was like a trial by fire, the worst 48 hours in my life. And that was day what? Day one and two, day one and two. <laughs> So, and, but, but, and you had just come from being a journalist. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like right. calling reporters, like like telling them the real story. Like, here's the real story. <laughs> and, they, and they wrote a headline that my, and like my, that chairman tore my head off. It was like they twisted the truth into what they wanted to say. And I couldn't get the reporter to, to change the editor, to tell the hey, editor to change the Hey, this oh, PR thing disaster. isn't as easy as it seems. It's no, I thought I was done before I had begun. I thought I was done. I thought I was done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, things settled down after that. Yeah. And so while you get thrown in the fire, I always say, like, I never hire anybody straight from journalism mm -hmm. to PR. Like when I was the head of comms at Pivotal Software, uh, I wanted somebody that had already went to a PR agent, like went from like a news outlet to a PR agency for a couple of years so that they, they could be tenderized. If you will, rather than beaten just up. Yeah. up, right? Yeah, yeah Bruce, yeah. you just went through the grinder really quick and just right. the, like learned every lesson. He learned every right. lesson in like forty years. Head first, right? Yeah. So I'm, I was kind of hired to be like the chief storyteller. So my title was strategic communications. I wasn't really doing the media relations. Like the, the agency was was working with the CMO at the time. So it was a bit of training wheels. So my job was to tell the story. So develop the brand narrative. Uh, figure out an audience strategy and start blogging, you know, and and getting engineers to write about it and getting us speeches, you know, speaking slots and and where how can we publish, you know, and then had had the pen on all the the like the uh, what do they call them the the RFIs that we wrote for governments that were like these ninety page, hundred and eighty page technical documents that had a opening section that was a narrative. It was crazy, crazy, and I was we were doing speeches and presentations to governments in Finland and the Dutch. And I never got to go to India or Dubai, but like we were everywhere else. Mexico City was nuts. Well, that, go ahead. And how, how have you evolved from there? Have you, have you separated yourself from media? What, what are you carrying with you? What are the skills that you've learned along the way? What are you gonna tell, what are you gonna tell an old time colleague that you like, all right, I'm done with this journalism stuff. I need to get into something else. What do you tell them? Oh, like because they, they call me, yeah. Like you mean people who want to make the jump? Yeah, from media to yeah. I called yeah. it earlier the dark side, but it really is dark the bright side. side. You know it, Bruce. Just admit it. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's so lucrative, so lucrative. Um, That's the first I, thing. No, I mean, what do I tell them? I tell them like like I tell. Uh, well, what I tell them? Be prepared for ambiguity. I tell hmm. them that, um, and don't choke on the hype you know like it's like yeah it's like you're writing about stuff this is and it's you know what it's the same damn thing because i was gonna say you're writing about stuff that hasn't really happened yet it's six months out um but you got to kind of get people prepped for it journalists are doing the same thing we're writing about the stuff that's like in beta hasn't come out yet i remember so many products we apps we thought were the amazing things that never like that's that you know I was gonna say shut the bed, but they shut the bed. But but when you're when you're on the journalism side, you know, you've got to like when you're in-house, you've got to you gotta drink the Kool-Aid. 
right? But when you're on the mm -hmm. press side, you got to spit it back. So, I mean, I think yeah. that's, that's, I got to believe that that would be a tough transition for uh, a reporter like yourself to go. Right. So, yeah. So you have to digest PS. it into your own, into that, you know, you got to maintain that, that filter, right? right? Like you don't want to be total Mr. BS man. Um, but so you just, you just adapt what you can and be, I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent the advocate of the journalist, you know, most of the time. So do you um, see the journalist as your client or do you see your company as your client? If you had to I see the company it? as a client, but I know that I can help the journalist tell their story uh, if they'll let me, you know, and because and I've, I've helped dozens of journalists you know, over the years, I go to right. generations of them and I know what they need and I know what stats they need and what, how they want it explained. Um, so I try to do some of the, I try to do like a pre or post interview or just a, a call with the journalist. Like, hey, did you get everything? Oh, and by the way, like this is actually how to, how to you know, what we think you're and in a good position because you're coming from years of experience that's probably a harder move for a young pr person to make i would guess that's true that's true uh, that's so that the person has to learn yeah that, well that's why you yeah you start <laughs> out as an assistant account executive at some small firm uh so how what you i mean like it sounds like you're doing some storytelling you're probably doing a lot of strategy have you been doing a lot of media relations? And in that sense of when you did media relations, have you had that experience of switching roles and like, oh, I used to be that guy and now I'm this PR guy and is either the one a jerk or not? Or how do you feel about that? How does those feelings? Um, I don't mind doing the, some big pitches, like, like just over the top, uh, just, you know, random stuff. I also... Um, so do, I, do, I, do, I do plenty of it. I do like, it's easily outsourced though, like like the... The bread and butter of it, obviously, you know, like this release is coming out. Make sure it gets gets the in, it hits the inboxes of these like twenty people. Or, you know, I'm working like hand in hand with the agency. Like, get me this here. Have you thought about this? That looks fine. You know, we're just it's a flow. And I'm I'm also just doing. I occasionally do this. My 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 weakness is doing this ad hoc outreach to people, uh, trying to get their attention. Like I'll drop, you know, like everyone says, you know, just don't be transactional. Just say, hey, great story, no strings attached. And then and like, you know, a month later, something does come up and there, you know, you have a little breadcrumb trail. Yeah. I do that stuff. I do that all the time. I'd, I'd like to have more reporters over my house for dinner. I give them free food, you know, it's like, as we're starting to open up here, I've got a nice backyard. I can have like a little salon going. I, I have dreams about that. <laughs> they love it. Yeah. LA, LA tech reporters are like second class citizens to the San Francisco ones, you know? As it should be. As, <laughs> as, as it should be. LA can have everything south of Mountain View as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I grew up in Los Angeles. But uh, so so we want to hit on some other things. This this uh, thing we do, this sync you, this comms news you can use kind of storage of the week. But before we get to that, I, I'd love to just kind of get your kind of take on the state of tech media coverage today. Uh, from the outside, mm. from the comm mm. side now, it's changed, it's evolved over the years as we've talked about, but looking at it from your perspective, what do you think today? I don't have a bad word to say about anybody. There's some amazing work being done, like, you know, and it's just the way it's done is is uh, um, different. Like, you know, there's some publications don't have, have, have let some people, you know, write for outside uh, platforms. Um, so you, there's no one killer outlet anymore um we've got all these great people everyone's there. a freelancer right yeah and then you know i love this whole tension with andreessen i know a lot of people think think you know it's it's bad or 
it just shows me that, and this is what the contrib again, the contributor network, hate it as much as you want, but it starts to show that there are other people have things to say and, and, and expertise that you're not going to get from a journalist because they're so busy, you know, digesting what just happened. And they also kind of fall into similar uh, narratives, you know, around who's up, who's down, and this big versus small and whatever the meta narrative is, you know, they're not, they're missing the, the, uh, the understory which is what I was trying to look at it for, you know, under up and coming stuff, stuff like a train take on something and all that's coming from the newsletters and the sub stacks and, and, and uh, it's, it's coming direct, from the direct. embargo. It's coming from the embargoed podcast, right? We're breaking it down for real here. That's what but, it, but it, it, it is self-serving. <laughs> that, that's the risk, right? There's a fine line between, uh, you know, those, those, uh, the sub stack stuff and the, the stuff here on clubhouse or the Andreessen mm -hmm. stuff. And then, you know, I mean, look at the end of the day, that's, it's, it's self-serving right and so i think the role of the media is to kind of uh parse that and give us the truth uh, to be as objective as possible you're not always going to get that when it's uh when it's corporate driven uh, yeah and, and there's all tons of different ways to do it if you look at the la times you know they, they just won a bunch of, of sebu awards right and if you look at the stories they won for and maybe it's a function of covid is was all about the impact of of the tech on 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 uh, the worker and people mm -hmm. And they kind of avoided that kind of uh, critique of Apple, Facebook, you know, Amazon, and looked at like the further down the ladder, what's really going on on, on the, on the under, down the economic ladder, which is great. And that's what awards committees happen to like, you know, but uh, Casey Newton's doing great work. Nicole Perlroth, she did like she was at Forbes and went to the website and then I think she went and then went to the Times. She's doing amazing work on cybersecurity and her book is amazing. There's so many talented people out there. You know, Andy Greenberg is great. And then let's not forget, like, all oh, the healthcare coverage of you know, COVID. How did I even, you know, understand what's going on with testing and COVID, except for like some of the Atlantic people and, and Ed, Ed Young at, at, at um, the Atlantic, you know, so I love it. I love, I, re I subscribe to everything. I support everyone. Um, and it's, and I know it's hard, uh, but what I do, what I have found out, I, I do empathize with co corporates is that there's a lot of wrong stuff out there. Like, mm, like yeah. I don't think half of what you read is wrong. It's not that high, but it's more than I'm comfortable with too. Cause people are pressed for time. They don't, there's not that much fact checking anymore. All the usual woes, you know, there's, they have to write so many stories. And uh, was a cool. lot of journalists today are just pumping out 200 word stories. Right. And just kind of, and then there's a bunch of ads around it. And, you know, I've talked to some journalists are doing three to five stories a day. That's, that's tough. <laughs> that's not that's not journalism that's stenography you're just like yeah. writing, you're writing what people tell you yeah yeah you can't, do, you can't do that well and maybe that's a good uh transition to this uh this our, our sync you section of the show dave the uh, the comms news that you can use because there's a couple items that i think are are related to this conversation do you want to you want to switch gears and, and hit yeah let's do it let's do it i just remind everybody this was the big pitch before and I, I kind of like that name, but comms news you can use. We're getting some good feedback on that. So let's go. <laughs> okay. So uh, we'll just we'll just hit on a few of these. So, uh, you know, I, I try to keep them all comms and media related. But uh, to your point about uh, paying for stuff or subscribing to things, there's some uh, some coverage in uh, Insider uh, this week about different ways that uh, the companies and uh, media outlets, influencers, uh, you know, uh, content creators are starting to monetize their content on the internet. So, you know, we went from, you mentioned Craigslist before, right? Where, uh, you know, uh, ads essentially, or the, 
um, you know, taking ads out of the newspaper effectively killed the newspapers. Um, now we kind of thought for years that advertising on the internet uh, for the, it was kind of the cheap or the only way for these outlets to make money, but now it looks like they're okay charging for content. Um, and so there were a couple of examples of that, Bruce. So I, I wanted to get your take. Like you're out there subscribing to all kinds of stuff. Are you paying for it? Are you willing to pay for good media these days? Uh, what's your limit? What's your, what's your budget for that kind of thing? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I got at least, I don't know, several hundred dollars a year. Like Wall Street Journal is expensive. I expense that, but I love it. These creators getting paid for what they do. Why not? Yeah. Joe DiMaggio sold coffee, you know, in this, every, there's always influencers and creators. They should, if you amass an audience, you monetize it. It's easy as it's American as, uh, as apple pie or whatever. Apple but there was an idea there in the beginning of the internet that like, hey, if it's on the internet, it's free. And so how are we gonna get oh, people to like yeah. decide to pay for it? And I think that that took some time, right? I mean, we went probably 15, 20 years before people were willing to spend money uh, for content on the internet. And I know that New York Times has done a great job yeah. over the last probably half decade monetizing their online subscribers and growing that base, but it's been a slow transition. Well, I have a lot of respect for anybody who, you know, was either all in closed, like the Financial Times uh, right. or, or, or Tim Forbes was like, we're never putting up a paywall for years. And, and we were all yelling at him like, you're giving it away, you're giving it away. And it worked until it doesn't, you know, until it didn't. Now they have a, a leaky paywall. And uh, I don't know, I haven't done the Apple, the Apple News thing kind of pisses me off. Like I, I'll hit a link on, um, on, the, on the, app, the stocks app and it'll get like for Entrepreneur Magazine, like that can't be paywalled. I can hit that one. And then <laughs> yeah, sure yeah. enough, boom, Apple News. Like we got that one too. And eventually, right. you know, I'm, I'm already paying Apple for fitness and and storage and for everything. <laughs> I, I haven't done the music, but like I, I just feel the gravitational pull of their the news in there too. I, I don't know. Well, yeah. this was a big law. That was a big lawsuit recently, wasn't it? Uh, Facebook was involved. Apple was involved. Am I thinking of the right thing, Dave? We talked about that on the show several weeks ago. Where wasn't Facebook and an apple involved in like australia new zealand uh, oh yeah we did get, yeah that was uh what was that about does that sound right trying to collect money for uh for content that shows up on those streams oh yeah it was the news articles that they were pro promoting uh it was rupert murdoch owned australian properties and uh syndicating it on facebook and it wasn't right. allowed and they came up with a deal on that that so, was pure politics yeah yeah exactly All right, speaking of content yeah. Let's talk about the big news this week with AT&T spinning off Warner Media. And I have a special hate, I mean, place in my heart for AT&T. Uh, I won't subscribe to them or anything like that. Kevin and I came out of the firm that represents AT&T. Uh, and they made another disastrous bet on media, right? So, you know, rather than being a telco and pushing broadband and making it available to everybody, they wanted to be a content machine. And it doesn't didn't work. I guess they lost billions of dollars, and yet you know their their CEOs get to take home big money. What's what's your takes? What's your take on this news? So I walk my dog in the morning, and I, with this guy who used to be the a lawyer, head lawyer at Paramount, and he was laughing about it because they had a weird owner too, and who looked at their books and like, why are these people getting first class airfare? Our our executives at AT and T don't get first class airfare. And they're in, they have to explain. It's in the contract. It's in the Writers Guild contract. It's in the Directors Guild, the PGA. It's like a different industry. They don't get it, you know. And this Hollywood is Hollywood. You can, you know. There's a long story. There's no. This was no one's idea of a good deal, right? 
Right. Just the lawyers and bankers. Well, M&A in general sucks. I think there was some stat like 75% of all M&A doesn't work. So it's like, well, you, you were in Chicago, so you must've covered, you said you covered telcos earlier, right? Mm -hmm. In, in at Forbes telco is a totally different, it's related to tech, but it's a totally different industry than technology itself. Those are stodgy people. Every meeting is, is a suit and tie meeting. If you're working at a telco. And oh, yeah, I don't, we at our zest, at, we our former CEO at zest went down to a meeting with AT&T Credit, and they almost got kicked him out because he was wearing a T-shirt, he had tattoos showing, everything. <laughs> he, yeah, he used an F bomb, and they were like, "We're from North Texas, we don't talk like that." Yeah, and the, you're not going to gel with Hollywood. There's no mm -hmm. way you're going to gel with Hollywood in that culture, right? And no. and. Mm -mm. And there's a lot of prima donnas down there in Hollywood. You, the, you know, that's why, <laughs> that's why they're there. So the dealing with that content, that it, it, they messed up on a cultural thing, there. That's for sure. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like an, the analogy for me is like that the guy that comes in and remodels your backyard isn't the same guy that hosts the the party, right? I mean, these are just like they're related worlds. But like you might have a party in that backyard, but he's, you know, he's not the guy that's organizing it. So like, you know. The AT&Ts uh, the of the world, they're building the infrastructure for That's the right. media that you consume. That's right. They're, 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 you, don't pay, you, don't, you don't pay for the roadies to perform at the rock concert, no, right? No, then no, they, 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 <laughs> they fill a different role. I mean, it, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it's the height of hubris or, I don't know, like you say, I, I mean, a lot of people got paid through the process, but um, it just seems like it was such a shit idea from the beginning. And, uh, you know, you kind of, the writing was on the wall, I think, at, at the start. And we kind of all saw it going this way. That's right. That's right. Um, I think, and in the process, they trashed the HBO brand. They messed all that up with the Max and the Plus. Yeah. The, oh, there were like know, five different those. HBO services. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's a shit show. That's yeah. it. Telco is like, you know, we for all the years that they've, I've looked at them, I've been so, everyone, you have to admire their operating margins. They make a ton of money hand over fist if they just leave well enough alone. Just, you know, just make your networks good. And yeah. Exactly. Know, that's it. Put my call through. Give me, give me the good Wi-Fi. I'll keep paying you totally. 70, 80, 80 bucks a month. Like how many people do I, else do I pay 80 bucks a month to? Not many <laughs> right. People. Totally. Right. You're lucky. You're only paying 80, like 12 devices on that. Oh, I cut the cable <laughs> part. Yeah. I cut the cable part. That was the deal. I mean, that, that's why they did here. Discover, you take it. You like cable, you like animal planet and duck dynasty and all those shows. <laughs> yeah, that, totally. yeah. All right. So we got another thing on comms news you can use. I like this one. Uh, Bruce, you may not know this, but City Hall saves local news, meaning, uh, you know, everything local news is having a tough time. Where I live here in Napa, the Napa Register is a small paper. South of me is the Vallejo Times Herald, which is even smaller. Each of those communities has 100,000 people or more, uh, you know, and they deserve local news because you need local coverage. And, uh, and Bruce, you may not know this, but I'm actually in local government. I'm a local elected official here in the Your city Honor. of American Canner. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and, I, and I actually, those are the two papers I subscribe to just to help them out. It's only like a hundred bucks a year, but it adds up to all the other things that I'm subscribing to. Um, and what's your take on this? How do you feel about the death of local news and maybe having city government to request, uh, invest in it? I doubt we'd do that. We could barely fund some roads sometimes. <laughs> well, how much how much would it cost if everybody got taxed, I don't know, like two fifty right. a year? Could you fund a newsroom? 
in I the county? You, I probably think you could. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that. like it, stick it in with the weed bill, you know, and then you get the weed and the paper. Oh, Save the that. paper, get the weed. Or whatever, you know. You, some, you could smoke the weed in the paper. In the paper, yeah. You just I, mean, I, I think it's fun. Yeah, the, look at the BBC, BBC is like a colossus, but like, why can't you just replicate the BBC model or a trust at the local level? Because this is America. <laughs> you don't want that propaganda in here. That's that's uh, that's the challenge there. And I love the BBC. You know, uh, uh, I listen to BBC radio a lot just because they don't ever have commercials because it's funded. <laughs> so, but yeah. funded by, though, funded by everybody. Funded by everybody, right? And then and there's yeah. an independent board that's, you know, they ensure it's bipartisan. But but a smart move, I think, by New York City. I, I think this is a de Blasio thing. You're, so you're a New York guy. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, the uh, local press is, is critical, right? And, uh, you know, I think the decision to fund it, I guess, you know, through taxpayer uh, income, uh, I think, you know, these different agencies had to it was like 50% of their uh, their media budget had to go to local papers. I think things like that sounds like a great idea to me. Yeah, and you don't, you don't get a say in the paper because you're only putting in one eighty thousandth of the, of the ownership, you know. So, but you get to know that you have it, and if you don't like it, sometimes you don't like it sometimes, but most of the time you'll like it. Right, it's necessary, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, good well, stuff. Let's, uh, let's let's ask you about the things that are that's a big thing about these mask and <laughs> relaxation of masks that are happening in California. You're a comms expert. It's confusing. Like I want to take off my mask now because I was always following CDC guidelines, but I live in the state of California and they say not until June 15th, buddy, hang in there. W right. What's your take on that? How do you advise? Well, uh, you know, these, these like Trader Joe's and other and Walmarts and others of, uh, you know, not, not following the CDC guidelines, but you're in the state of California. Yeah, it's really confusing. Well, you have to follow whatever your local guidelines are. But as you know, if Target wants to do chain wide no mask, they can do it. Uh, then they should just have a you know, an, a not co more than coherent, a coherent and kind of br on brand message about it. Um, so there's rationale to it, and then prepare for any blowback, which there might be. I, I mean, on, on the street, like a person to person. It's got to be, it's a game time decision. People are now have their masks dangling from their ear. They flip it up if there's someone coming and has this, you know, kind of fisheye with their mask up. Like I got yelled at the other day. I wasn't yelled at, but like I was trying to engage with them and they're like, they saw me with no mask. They're like, no thanks, I'm out of here. And I thought that was <laughs> a little rude, but then I realized that that's what they're, where they're coming from. So, from you know. Com from a comms perspective, like this is what happens when you delegate communications to this you know kind of the responsibility for communicating the different rules and practices to the states instead of the federal government saying this is what we're going to do at a national level and everybody's going to follow suit the cdc provides this kind of this guidance right this kind of vague like here's what we suggest and then you've got the states going well i think we're going to interpret it this way and then we're going to actually let the different organizations and institutions kind of apply their own uh, approach to it. I mean, it's, it's kind of a communication disaster. Uh, well, it's a political system failure. I mean, don't get me started. That's the reason that the sort of devolution of power to the states or, yep. uh, and federal system is why we have a gun problem and absolutely so, so much abortion controversy and religious freedom in the schools. And, you know, I agree. So, so many, so many things. Just, I mean, thank God that the highways are all the same width. You know, at least, we, at least we have that. Yeah. Uh, right. Good point. All right. Let's turn this off uh, from 
Uh, comms news you can use. And let's go to games. Uh, Kevin, I, I don't really like games, but Kevin has made me like games. And Bruce, you are on for this game. We're going to play a game called Where's Journo? And it's related to this discussion around you and your experience going from, you know, head honcho or near the head honcho at Forbes magazine and then coming into the comms world. And as you know, um, a lot of journalists have left that profession uh, over the last decade or last 20 years. And in reality, a lot of journalists have come to the communication side of the house where they go back and forth between it. Actually, I don't see many people go back. Uh, so I'm going to name some well-known journalists or journalists that I think I know. I'll give you the name of the publication that they wrote at, and you got to tell me where they went, what huh. company, corporation, or they went. I'm going to give you the easy one first. Is there, Rebecca, money? Is this, is there money on this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Text in the mail. Text yeah. In the mail. So here we go. Where's Journal? Kind of like where's Waldo, right? Where's Journal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rebecca Buckman, Wall Street Journal. Oh, Becky's at Battery Ventures. She's at Battery Ventures. I gave you that yeah. one because yeah. you know her. All right. Yeah, that's true. True. I had huge. She's a mentor to me. She was like, she wrote for me. And now she's a mentor to me. Oh, good. So she helps you with the transition. Yeah. Uh, all right. Quentin Hardy, the New York Times. I know oh, you know Quentin. Quentin. Yeah, Quentin's at Google. Oh, ding, 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 ding. I he's need a, yeah. He's we a good sound Twitter effects, follow, Kevin. by the way. He's a good Twitter follow. Google oh. Cloud, to be specific. Oh, uh, the sarcasm that comes out of Quentin is fantastic. Everybody should follow him just for that. He's fantastic. He's a good Twitter follower. Google Cloud is sure. my favorite cloud, by the way. I'm, 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 uh, I'm aligned with Google Cloud. You're, you're all in on Google? Yeah, all I'm right. all in on Google Cloud. Yeah. All right. From the competitor side of the house, at Fortune, right? So Fortune and Forbes were big competitors. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Roth. Oh, Daniel's Dan, Dan's at uh, LinkedIn. He's been there forever. You got to do you go. Come on, you got to go. You got to make it ding, harder ding, than ding, that. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I saw him doing it easy. <laughs> All right. That's a good Bro one. That's a Bro good one. Broadcast journalist from CNBC. He was a CNBC host every morning on Squawk Alley. Jim okay. Goldman. Jim Goldman is at a PR firm. Um, wait, wait, wait. Don't tell me. Is it 5W? Is it 5W? No. Z. It starts with Is a Z. A good one. Oh, Zeno Group. There you go. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Needed a little help there. All right. Yeah, he made he made a strong pitch once to Ed Zet for me at Zest. He's uh, I, I like that guy. All right. Uh, a longtime tech reporter uh, and blogger started out the infamous Giga Ohm. Ohm Malik. Where is Ohm now? Anywhere he wants to be. Ohm is like uh, he's got a venture firm. I think it's like. Probably called O Ventures. I, I forget the right. name of it. Oh, pretty cool. Like, uh, it's close? True Ventures. It's True, true Ventures. Ventures. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I, I, I wanted to say he was at Business Week, but I think he was at Forbes, Bloomberg, and then at Recode. Eric Hessendahl. Eric, uh, I just Twittered with him today. He is, at last I checked at SAP. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, Good yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. He went. He went off to be an analyst for a little bit, I think. I, mm -hmm. And then he's another New Yorker, right? Yeah. He's. Think, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've seen him at many CES dinners. Yep. Yep. Okay. Two more here. Uh, a newer one. Mm -hmm. uh, younger reporter out of your era, Christina Farr. She was the health beat reporter at CNBC. Where yep. is she now? 
Yep, she went to a venture firm just recently, Christy Farr. Uh, where'd she go? I want to say whatever DFJ became. No, I'm not, I don't remember the name of it. Well, you're good. It's Omer's Venture, O-M-E-R-S Venture. Oh, Omer. Okay. All right. All right. This one's old school, a little deeper tech. Yeah. He was at Ziff Davis, and I think he was editor at E-Week for a while. Peter oh, yeah. Coffey. Peter Coffey. Oh, no. No idea. I thought you were going to go with the guy who went to Salesforce to work with Benioff um, from CNET. Uh, I don't well, know. I think, where's, where, where's Peter Well, there Coffey? is a CNET guy there, too, but there's... Well, okay. Let's just lay this out. Salesforce's comms team is mostly journalists. <laughs> there's a lot of them there. Uh, yeah. Peter Coffey went to Salesforce. Oh, yeah. Okay. I ran into him when he was joining there, and we had a long walk down Market Street to talk about his transition okay. uh, a while back. All right. Uh, that's it. That's my Where's Journal game. So thanks good for one, playing, Bruce. Wow, you did really good, Bruce. Yeah. That's, that's good. You're, you you pay attention to the media. You know, so, when you say, I know where all the bodies are buried, I, I know where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> They're all buried in columns. Man. Well, yeah, that, that, right. you know, that list is a lot longer, right? I mean, in every mm -hmm. across every industry, I'm sure, but I tried to focus on tech. So thanks for playing that game. We have another game. It's our most famous game ever. It's rep, fire, and refer, and I'm going to hand mm -hmm. it over to Kevin on this one. You know, I actually meant to do this last week. Uh, I've forgotten all about it. I don't know how I managed to do that, but Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are back together. Uh, Bruce, you're in Los Angeles. I'm sure you're... Uh, Wait, hold on. Did you just say they're back together? Yeah. No, they're back together. So Jennifer Lopez split with Alex Rodriguez and Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, I think, have been split for a while. I, you know, I'm not really, you know, uh, Us Weekly, uh, People People Magazine. It's not my not my thing, but uh, they're in the news. They're back together. As far as I can tell, this is what I read. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez reunited and it feels so good. Uh, so you got a rep fire for Ben, Jennifer Lopez, and Elise Stefanik, uh, who was uh, who took uh, Liz Cheney's job, uh, you know, as part of the uh, Republican uh, caucus, and uh, you know, for uh, for sticking up for Trump. So uh, you know, politics aside, Bruce, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe not, mm -hmm. uh, rep so, fire and refer all three. Okay. You, hey, you only get to pick it. one, Bruce. You yeah, only yeah, get to pick one each. I, yeah. I got that. Hey, I got listener, that. He knows how the game is played, man. Uh, yeah. No, what I was going to do is like, there was, I think last week you had Willie Nelson and um, Bill Murray. And I was like, how are you going to, and, and Snoop Dogg, and how are you going to pick? So what you do is re <laughs> refer one of them to like a buddy of yours yeah. and <laughs> yeah. work on the business together. So you essentially yeah. you rep two, one and a half. Anyway, I would not rep or refer uh, Elise Stefanik. I mean, uh, I know what she's up to. And I don't like it. I don't. I can't be near the big lie. There you go. Right there, you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right. She's fired. There's Goodbye. Plenty of, there's plenty of Republican issues on which I would like cross that line, and but not the lie. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Lopez, rep. Are you kidding me? Just like for totally. Every time. Hello, Hello, Jennifer. Hello, <laughs> I'm the best PR person ever. So. Ever. Yeah. Um, Easy job, by the way. Yeah, I really want to learn this consume this celebrity PR with, with you. I think you're the right person to get my <laughs> yeah. game with. Yeah, yeah right. uh, just play that game. And then Ben Affleck, I would refer him to uh, you know somebody with more patience than I do. Uh, good call. Yeah, I, I think I think you nailed it. Because I'm worried about that. I'd have to like duck with that guy. He's probably gonna throw something at me. <laughs> right. Maybe he's, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, you get a, a, maybe you get a role in like uh, Goodwill Hunting too. You never know, man. Uh, yeah. You, you hang out with Ben, you never know. 
Wait, so I, like, saw, I saw him give a talk at TED about like his work in the Eastern Congo, and I, and then I was like, wait a minute, wait, where's that going? But I guess we're we talking saying, about here. Yeah, yeah. But that's cool. That's cool. But, so I totally missed this news. Ben and Jennifer are together. You got to get up on this. Stuff. I got to get up. I got to get out of daughter. Is she funny about it? She probably doesn't know who these people are. No, those are old people to her, right? Yeah. So yeah. 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 Mr. Bruce uh, Upton, it's so, been a pleasure to have you on the show this week. Thank you for pitching us. I'm sorry it took us 10 pitches to get back to you, you know. So. <laughs> we no, we, we missed you. Back. So, much, so much more to talk about. So much more to talk about. We have to we'll do part two. Yeah. We, Thanks we, for we, making we, time, Bruce. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we, we would love to have you on the show again. Tell your friends about us. Uh, we weren't, you know, we're good guys. We're not that mean. So just join us and let's have a little fun. Uh, next week, Kevin and I are back again right before Memorial Day. And uh, uh, let's have, uh, have a good week, everyone. And Bruce, thank you again. You're welcome.